and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. Um, this podcast was supposed to happen about six months ago, and uh, I had a malfunction with my H4N Zoom, and it uh, deleted, it didn't delete it, but it just deleted the audio portion of the file, so I had this big, empty, silent file. Thankfully, this guest, though, was kind enough to come back. We've been trying to work this out for about six months, but we're both busy guys. So uh, this gentleman, um, I came across him because I was on Amazon Prime and I was watching some some documentaries about sustainable farming and just farming in general. And I saw this picture of Joel Salatin on there and it said American Meat. And I watched the preview and I was like, I got to check this out. So I bought it, watched it, loved it, um, shared it with some friends and uh, and so I'm happy to have this gentleman on today, Mr. Graham Merriweather. How you doing today, Graham? Doing good, Drew. Yeah, it's good for us to uh, put this together. So it's it's kind of weird because now we're gonna get like to have the same conversation over again, maybe. But uh, sure. <laughs> so just talking about American Meat. So you're you're a filmmaker, documentary um, filmmaker. Um, you know, so how did it come about to where you know you're like you know what I want to make a movie about the um, about just the way U.S., I guess, big industrial farming when it comes to meat in the U.S. And not even that, but like just how meat is raised in the Midwest or in the U.S. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I was uh, I, I read a book uh, called The Omnivore's Dilemma, and I was also working on a farm, one of my friends in uh, New York. And um, those two events kind of happened around the same time. And Joel Salatin was jumping off of the page with charisma and I was really excited about what Joel was saying in the book. And so I sent him an email and I went down and I started filming with Joel. And originally the film was going to be a year on Polyface, just kind of following what happens during the different seasons on Polyface Farms. And then um, after Joel would talk about the industrial system and how much problems that there were with the industrial system of agriculture. Uh, I didn't have any footage to cut over that. And so I sent an email to PETA and I said, Hey, could you send us some stock footage of if you go to YouTube and you type in meet your meat and the, the black and white hidden camera footage. And they sent me a few tapes of that. And, uh, and I started editing it into the film and then I realized that uh, I didn't know those farms. I didn't know those farmers. And I decided that it didn't feel right as a journalist. So I decided we weren't going to use a single frame of hidden camera footage. And we kept that vow. I spent the next two years going around the country filming with conventional chicken farmers, conventional hog farmers, cattle raisers. And it really changed my perspective about agriculture. It made me realize that there aren't good farms and bad farms, that there aren't evil uh people that wake up in the morning thinking about how they can uh you know torture animals basically everyone walks their their own path in life uh you know a lot of these conventional farmers are also raising animals uh you know like johnny glosson is a conventional chicken farmer in north carolina who we filmed with but he also raises uh heritage pigs because he he enjoys that um, and so any, anyways, we, we decided to take a broader look at, at the food system as a whole. 
And what we found was that, yes, the conventional system has some serious challenges that, that it faces. Uh, we outlined those challenges, but we did so in a respectful way. Uh, and then we looked at some of the alternatives uh, with polyphase farms, uh, some of these young people that are starting to get interested in agriculture. And ultimately, that was what became American Meat. Yeah, and I, what I really enjoy about it is just even before your film, because I knew like because even when it comes to words, I think like especially with food and words, like something that you do an awesome job of covering is pastured, grass-fed beef or food to or what's considered organic by the USDA and just factory farming in general. And 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 yeah, and I, what I really enjoyed about the film too is like you really show the human side of all these farmers because people like to to jump on these farmers, like you said, and try to make it seem like that there's some evil intention. But it's not really how it is. It's just basically things are already set up in place for food production. Either their families are already kind of locked into these contracts or something like that. And, and even that, they might not even know about an alternative way to do it. And I think it was cool because, you know, one of the hog for, for farmers in the film – um, him and his son, like his son wants to be a hog farmer too. And they were trying to do organic farming and they were trying to, to get that done. And, it, and it's just not that simple. Like the people that said they would, the marketing department that said they would back it pulled out and it's, 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 it's really complicated. Like it's easy to point fingers or it's, it's much easier to, um, to, to basically think that there's like this they or this entity that's, that's pulling these strings, but it's not, it's just. Just kind of like how humans work. Like we're we create these we create these systems, and then sometimes our systems get out of control, and it's like, whoa, what are we what are we doing here? And it's 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 easy to forget the 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 aspect of of a human in all that. But um, now something else that I think is interesting too, because I originally had seen Food Inc., and that's when I was first introduced to Joel Salatin. But you were like the original guy that went to film Joel on Polyface Farms, right? I think that's what you said before. I, yeah, I, I believe that's the case. I, I mean, I didn't like create a calendar of all the other films because Joel's been in so many films. But from my understanding, you know, I sent him an email in 2006, so that was a long time ago, and uh, and then I started filming with him in March of 2007. Uh, it's just that we had a very <laughs> small budget for our documentary, and uh, you know, I, I also went through, I think, a lot more of. Uh, perhaps more of a personal journey than maybe some of the other filmmakers. Cause like I said, I, I did end up going and filming at a lot of conventional farms. It was a, it was a long, it was a long process. It took us four years to make the film. So yeah, I think I may have been the first feature documentary that, that started filming with the uh, polyface farms. And then by the time that, uh, that we were done, <laughs> many others had gotten in there, but you know, had, had started after us and finished before us. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it's wonderful to see Joel Salatin getting all of the attention that he deserves. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, and this is getting more into the smaller, into the local food movement world, And but I mean, a lot of people, there is some resentment, I think, for Joel because he has gotten so much press and he's been a part of so many things. And initially we were, you know, after we had decided it was going to be a bigger film, we were like, oh, well, Joel shouldn't be as much a part of it. But the thing was, almost every farmer that we what we talked to randomly was like, oh, yeah, I got started because I read this book by Joel Salton. Or, I mean, it was just incredible the impact that this guy has had. So I, I would argue that 
he is absolutely deserving of all the uh, of all of the press that he's gotten and all of the yeah. movies he's been a part of. Because the reality is that he's been a huge part of 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 shaping this food movement. And so, with that said, hey, we definitely need to get some other people into the spotlight as well. Uh, because it's not about one person. It's not about one farm. Uh, however, Joel Salatin has had an incredible impact on American agriculture, and I'm glad that he's started to get some real um, some real attention for that uh, work that he's done and that um, impact that he's had. Yeah, I, I agree. And even, even um, the way he's changing farming, and he talks about it in his books, and he has his fiefdoms, and there's a lot of other farmers that are, are doing similar things. They may not call it fiefdoms, but um, so basically he'll allow you to use the land he has and you can come and work with him, but you have to have like a business plan and then he's going to help you do it and eventually so you can go away and do your own thing. And I think like you see um, like uh, Jack uh, Spirko's company, Permit Ethos, they're doing something similar and it's all really is. Then they all even say like it's all based off Joel Salton, but I think um, – I think, yeah, I think the food movement, local food movement, and to me is just the key of decentralization in general. Like it's, it's, um, you know, it starts with, oddly enough to me, it kind of seems like it starts with beer, like craft beer. And then from the craft beer, people are like, oh, I like local beer. And then like the craft, I know in Columbus, so the craft breweries then have local restaurants. And most of the time, because they've been handcrafting beer, they want, you know, crafted food. So and then it, and it all goes to getting local ingredients, so hops and everything like that. And I think that's that's really the key to like decentralizing things and making it like a good, strong local economy. Um, but I, I, you know, the thing that I really liked, you know, and, and not to, I mean, we can talk about a lot of different stuff, Graham. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's interesting too because uh, you know, in your documentary, even just with people, like it shows you start out with it and you have. Um, this this lady with chickens and she loves her chickens and then she uh you know she doesn't want to eat them she's like no i just go to walmart like i couldn't eat these i just want them for eggs and i think that's cool i think like you know and i and i think you know more power to her um and i think it is interesting too because i don't i don't know what it's like i know in columbus there there is some interesting things going on with chicken regulations but once people get a relationship with with animals that are on a farm like a chicken and everything it's really not i don't think that far-fetched to allow people to have chickens in their backyard i understand roosters because roosters are loud and annoying but um i mean when you guys were kind of in your journey and, and i know you're, you do a lot of stuff now with uh with with trying to like encourage farming like what what are your thoughts and have you run into anything with like chickens and um cities or urban or cities kind of putting the ix the 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 kibosh on, on farm or having chickens in the city? Well, yeah, I mean, every, every, every city or every township or every state has different laws. And so I've certainly seen and heard stories, uh, about those types of people or those, those city governments saying that they don't want this type of thing. Uh, as a whole, I would say that the shift seems to be heading very much uh, in the direction of of more farming and people being more excited about agriculture and allowing for um, you know allowing for people to have chickens in their backyard and so on. And, and I think across the country, people are becoming a lot more curious about where their food comes from and they're 
deciding they want to start a garden or they want to start shopping at the farmer's market or they want to go to the local brewery and get, uh, you know, a local beer and a grass-fed burger or, you know, an organic market salad. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of momentum. And I think this movement is really at its infancy. I mean, we're really starting to understand that we can really change the way that food works in our communities and that's starting to happen. Uh, interestingly enough, I mean, that's going to mean that we're going to have to work with the conventional system because they have really wonderful systems in place for distribution and logistics and efficiency. And so I think our next agriculture is going to be an amalgamation of the efficiencies and wisdom of our conventional agriculture melded with the passion and the local, the, the local regional aspects, uh, also the health, less pesticides, less, um, less, uh, anyways, less Vaccines, pesticides that, that we're going to create a new, a new agriculture that's going to be sort of an amalgamation of those two, uh, and that will be stronger for it. Yeah, I, I a hundred percent agree. I think, you know, you can't, um, cause there is a lot of good things about the current system. And, and like you said, distribution, and I, I think everything else like that is, is definitely a good thing. I think it's, it's kind of like even now, and like, just to compare it to, to, to beer, like, and I know I used that earlier, but like now, um, craft breweries are now like, they have this huge market share on the side of craft breweries. But when you actually look at like the market share in comparison to like big beer, uh, manufacturers, like they can't, they can't match the production. And I think, and, and it is going to take time for more and more small. And I, and I think like what, what I kind of see what you're saying is, you know, you have the major meat distributors, but then eventually the more people that are, are localizing and, and it's not going to be, you know, it's going to be lots of people doing, you know, they're kind of doing their own part. Like, look, this guy likes raising yaks. This guy likes raising, you know, hogs or and whatever. And, and I think it's, it's, it's going to be, um, looking at it, you know, it's, it, it, it's going to need to be probably more diverse when it comes to meats. Cause I think, you know, the whole chicken, turkey and beef thing is, is, I think that's part of the problem because it's there's not I mean there's plenty of other meat that you could use and I think you know eventually to to kind of like to make that transition we're going to need to see more and more people like uh in their little niches and I think other things like does that make sense what I'm saying like because real sure. realistically I don't think um it's sustainable to just have like you know only chicken beef and and everything, but like if people are raising ducks, you know, you can have duck eggs, turkey eggs. There's a lot of different things that, and it's and it's just mainly people, like you said, taking interest and learning, and like just like what you and I personally we were talking about before we we're recording, like my kind of personal journey. Like when I first talked to you, I was just kind of getting started, and now like I'm, I've, I've, I've done a season on the farmers market, you know, trying to build these relationships with businesses. And, and and really learning, like reading more and more books about sustainable ag, getting interviews with people. And, and I think it's, you know, the more people know, the more interested, like I, there's this kid, he's like 17. I just record a podcast with him and he dropped out of high school to start a yak farm. And it's like, I'm like oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Like that's, that's something. And it's, it's all small scale and he's just trying to do this thing, but it, you know, his parents are super supportive and everything, but 
it's going to take more and more young people doing things like that, if that makes sense. And I think, and I think it's happening. Just like what you said, it really is in the infancy. Graham. Yeah. You had this stoic face just sitting there. And, and I got done talking. I'm like, did he not like what I said? And I'm like, oh, no, he's just frozen. Anyways, I don't know what you heard. But the, the point what I was trying to say is, is that, um, you know, it, it's going to the more people learn and the more people take interest in farming, they're going to see different things for different businesses. I mean, just like Joel Salatin's son, Daniel, like was making so much money with a rabbit's business. And not a lot of people are eating rabbit right now. But they probably would. I mean, if they have that relationship with it, it really changes the way they look at it. And it's all and that's really what your to me, your film really kind of encourages is people to get out there, get have a relationship with their food, get to know their farmer, and then if they're interested, even start farming on their own. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a movement and there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of momentum. And I think we need to as a culture, we a lot of us feel estranged from the food that we eat. We don't know where the food comes from. We don't know where our furniture comes from. We don't know where our clothes come from. And I think part of this movement is really starting to say, okay, where is everything in my life coming from? And how can I become more in touch with the everyday aspects of who I am, which is my food, my furniture, my clothes, you know, even my entertainment, my uh, you know, my spirit, my environment. So I feel like a lot of people are starting to want to connect with something that's more real. And uh, the food movement is a wonderful place to start with that uh, shifting of our of our consciousness. Yeah, absolutely. So now what do you think? So I guess, you know, how do you think people should should get started? Like, so you I mean, you I, I think you agree with Joel much like I do is that it really does start in the kitchen just with food and and learning about labels and to read labels and everything else like that. Um, and and so, you know, for you personally, was it something that, you know, you read Omnivore's Dilemma, which is a great book, and then, you know, stay, got on this journey. Um, so I guess like how have you changed your life as a result of, you know, this this path you went on with making the film? learning about, you know, staying localized and everything else like that? Well, I would say the what really changed me first and foremost was just visiting my friend's farm. And then I would go and work. I, you know, I called him up a couple days after I visited his farm and I said, hey, can I work on your farm and you can pay me 10 bucks an hour and give me free food when I leave at the end of the weekend? And he said, sure. Uh, and so... I spent a summer going up and every weekend I would get up there Friday afternoon and work and then I'd work Saturday and Sunday and then take the train home Sunday and I worked you know basically part time for this farm for a couple of summers in a row and that was incredible. I mean just being outside working with my hands having a real day's work uh that was something that I hadn't really ever experienced before and I loved it. Uh so for me you know, everyone has a different entry point to the local food movement, just like a large river has many tributaries. Um, for me, I think the the most exciting aspect of it is to get get out to a farm and do some real work, uh, get your hands dirty, uh, do something that's, uh, and of course, I'm talking to the sort of people that grew up in suburbs and cities that haven't done this. There are millions of people that 
grew up on farms and I know what it, uh, uh, know what a full day's work is. And, you know, they're just as much a part of this movement as first generation farmers. And in fact, because of their experience, they're going to have to be leaders of this movement. Um, but the, for me, that's really where it starts. It's, it starts on the farm. Uh, it starts with the farmers. Uh, and we need to appreciate our farmers. You know, every day, 310 million of us as Americans, we sit down and we eat together. And uh, I think a lot of times people don't have a passing thought about the fact that, you know, a farmer planted the seeds that made, uh, you know, made their lettuce grow or fed the cattle that fill up their burger. Uh, you know, this is something that is a nationwide blind spot, in my opinion. And that's really the work of farmers and appreciating the work that farmers do and, and reflecting and thanking farmers for the work that they do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, kind of shifting gears, you know, because it, this was your this was your first documentary you made, and and you know, and it takes a lot of balls to go out there and and try to make a documentary because it's not um, it's definitely not easy, and especially because you guys are doing it independently. So, um, just just for listeners, I mean, maybe somebody who's inspired to do something similar. What did uh, I mean, what how hectic was it? How crazy was it? Um, you know, how much of what you'd planned stayed on the course? Like what, what was that experience? I guess if me, I mean, you've, I, I, I think you get what I'm asking. Like, um, sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it's a huge challenge to make a documentary film. Uh, it's way, way harder than any, anyone would expect. And I think that probably goes for almost every job, uh, you know, that people assume it's easier than it is. Uh, so, you know, with, with this film, uh, I do come from a, from a documentary journalist background. So starting in 2003, I have been work, I had been working as a freelance shooter, editor, producer, director, and, uh, it wasn't until, 2007, after four years of taking on freelance work, I decided I was going to venture out and try to create a film on my own. Uh, and you know, that, that was a very challenging process. Uh, I also have a style of filmmaking that is very labor intensive. Um, so I don't, you know, the more efficient way to write a film and to do a film is to, is to really write, write the whole film before you go out and shoot it. And then you do pre-interviews and you find out what people are going to say before you get there. And then you, you know, you know what you're getting and you kind of, the, the people you're filming with fill in the blanks of your, of your screenplay that you've written, uh, for the film before you shot it. And so that's a very efficient way to make a film and it's a very economical way to make a film. Um, and for me, it's just not a way that I can make a film. I, I just doesn't fit my personality and it doesn't fit my curiosity. So, you know, I just kind of go to a place and start shooting and I have a rough idea of what I want to do, but then I let what I discover, uh, dictate what the film will be. So, you know, this film started off as it was something called green pioneers. Uh, I wanted to do a feature about five different people who were leading the green movement in their respective fields. So I started filming with Joel Salton in agriculture and I filmed with leaders in recycling, green business, uh, various different fields. Uh, and then I realized that it didn't feel 
fair because I wanted to do, uh, you know, a, a feature film on each one of these people. And, and then the person that was most interesting to me was Joel. And so then, you know, then it became, I was just going to do a whole feature on Joel. And then, you know, then I, I've already said what happened after that happened. So, I mean, the yeah. film sort of went on to, you know, three different iterations, uh, before I finished it. And so, you know, and then of course there's funding. I mean, funding is an incredibly challenging thing to get your hands on. I spent a lot of nights sleeping in my car, you know, eating, uh, cans of tuna or what, you know, whatever it would be. I mean, this is, this is, a, if you're going to make a film on your own, without having much money from funders, uh, you're going to have to be very bare bones and you're going to have to be very efficient with, um, with how you spend money. <laughs> but of course the style of film that I was doing was not an efficient one. So anyways, yeah, it was a huge challenge. Uh, we premiered the film in 2011, uh, in conjunction with Joel Salton and Polyface Farms field day. Uh, and then we did two years of grassroots screenings all around the country. So once we finished the film, it was it was just as much work distributing it as it was shooting it and editing it. Uh, and then we had a because we sort of gained so much momentum from our grassroots screenings, we actually had a theatrical release in 2013. Uh, you know, so so we very much um, we very much had the film grow and distribute and was created in a very grassroots uh, in a grassroots kind of way. Yeah, and it definitely has that authenticity that um, making a film the way you make it would have, and it's definitely well put together. And I purchased it on Amazon. What What are other ways for people to? Is that would that be one of the best ways? Is it also on like uh, iMovies or whatever iTunes does? Yeah, it's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. Um, you know, there's. DVDs, uh, which can be purchased on Amazon or also on our website, which is actually leaveitbetter.com, which is the name of our company. And then if you click on the American Meat page on leaveitbetter.com, you can buy licenses that way for DVDs. Um, I mean, we get the most money through a DVD purchase, but <laughs> I know that uh, DVDs are definitely on their way out. And certainly, you know, however you want to, however someone wants to watch it is great. We, we do, we prefer, we did over 200 screenings where we had a big group of people show up. We had a panel with farmers and chefs and, uh, you know, professors, students, people in the food space. And it was incredible. So I definitely recommend if you, if you can to try to watch the film with a group of people and maybe even try to have a screening of the film, uh, cause that'll, that'll make it that much more intriguing to be able to bounce ideas off of farmers in your area and chefs in your area and your friends and family. Uh, because, you know, I do feel like we have a tendency to watch and I certainly do this myself. We have a tendency to watch things alone, you know, binge watch things. And I don't know if that's as healthy as like watching a documentary in a big group setting to spark a conversation in a community. So I, you know, Anyways, there's a lot of different ways to get the film, and um, it was a, it was a great challenge to make, and it was a huge joy uh, to to be a part of it and and to make it. And then, um, what uh, you you also have? I know last time you talked about a there's a Facebook group too that you guys have created to um, kind of link people with their local farmers. Well, we have an Amer American Meat Facebook page. Okay. Uh, we have. We have an American Meat Facebook page. We have a, a Leave It Better Facebook page. 
Um, and, uh, yeah, the, that's, that's a place where people can, you know, we, we sort of have an ongoing conversation about agricultural issues on that Facebook page. Um, yeah, so that, that would be a great way to, to start to continue these types of conversations about agriculture and, um, and about the future of our, of our food system. Absolutely. And then, um, and then we're, we're kind of closing up here. Uh, what, uh, what are you working on now? So we have a feature documentary called Farmers for America, uh, and it's all about young farmers. Uh, the, the main thrust of the film is that the average age of the U.S. farmer is 60 years old, and we're going through a time of incredible upheaval. So we're having all of this land is changing hands, all of this equity is changing hands, and it's very important that we as a nation uh, make make choices that will empower young people to become owners of land, uh, to become farmers. Uh, and we're really trying to create a film that will pose some very, um, striking questions about our next agriculture and inspire people to, to farm, inspire people to think about where their food comes from and also just to respect and to, uh, celebrate our nation's farmers. Well, that's awesome. Um, so if people want to contact you is the best way probably just to like the, the Facebook conversation that goes on. That's probably the best way. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the American meat, uh, Facebook page, our leave it better website is a good way. Um, there's uh, you know, if you do the contact form at, on, on our leave it better page, that'll come to me. And, uh, yeah, I, be, yeah. I think that's what I did. I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to remember. It was so long ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well anyways, Graham, I'm glad I, I'm glad we could finally link up and do this. Uh, definitely looking forward to your next film and, uh, and, and love to have you on again to promote it once it's coming out. Sounds good, Drew. Thank uh, you, man. Oh, you're welcome. Everybody, thanks again for tuning in to another episode. Check out American Meat, and uh, and I hope you guys enjoy your days.